0: To be with you again. Uh, we're going to be in God's Word today again in Amos as we look at uh, this idea of when God, uh, when the Lord makes His people receptive to His Word. Um, you've probably, like me, been in the circumstance where you've been trying to have a conversation with somebody. Maybe it's across the table or something like that. You're out to eat and you're trying to uh, convince them of something, or maybe just share a story. And uh, you see that they're on their cell phone, and you just don't really feel like you're connecting. Um, I've probably done that too, but, but it definitely we, we have that feeling of sometimes when we talk to people, uh, sometimes it just feels like a one-way conversation. And there's a time in Israel's history, in Amos uh, chapter 5, we're going to discover today, where God was speaking, but they weren't listening. Uh, they, were, they were busy doing other things. They had other concerns. They had other things on their mind. Um, and they had reached the point where they just did not listen to God. They were not receptive to His Word. And so today we're going to learn from this passage what it means, first of all, why the Lord has to do this. Why does He have to make us receptive to His Word? And then secondly, we're going to learn what it looks like to actually be receptive to His Word. word. You know, sometimes uh, we'll get into that Uh, rhythm of when someone's talking to us, Emily calls it the three-second mm-hmms. And uh, when we're acting like we're listening to somebody when they're talking, and every three seconds we go, "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh-huh, uh-huh, but we're not really listening. We're just kind of getting into that rhythm. (laughs) Well, I think maybe Israel was in that that, uh, type of attitude, that type of posture during this time. And so as we read God's Word, we're going to discover those two things, why does the Lord have to make us receptive to his word? And then secondly, what does it look like to be receptive to God's word? So follow along with me in your Bible, starting in verse 10 of chapter, uh, chapter 5 of Amos. We're going to read all the way through to, uh, to verse 15. Reading from the New American Standard Bible, the word says, They hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks with integrity. Therefore, because you impose heavy rent on the poor... And exact the tribute of grain from them. Though you have built houses of well-hewn stone, yet you will not live in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, yet you will not drink their wine. For I know your transgressions are many, and your sins are great. You who distress the righteous and accept bribes, and turn aside the poor in the gate. Therefore at such a time the prudent person keeps silent, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. And thus may the Lord God of hosts be with you, just as you have said. Hate evil, love good, and establish justice in the gate. Perhaps the Lord God of hosts may be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. The first thing we're going to see, starting in verse 10, it's very interesting, is that they're in a time period where they just simply will not receive the word of God. We notice from verse 10 that the Bible says they hate him, God's own people, Israel, come to the point where they hate the person who reproves in the gate. They hate the person or they abhor him who speaks with integrity. This is who the prophet was. The prophet was going to come and he was going to enter into the city through the gate. Now Amos was going to be coming into Bethel and he'd be prophesying against uh, their false worship and all these things that are happening. And they would just turn, they would turn the truth tellers away at the gate. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to hear God's word. We don't want to hear what God... Has to say because it was so uncomfortable for them. They had reached that point. We're going to see a, a few things here that resonate with us as New Testament Christians living in 2020. First of all, when we look at what God's Word says about His Word, about itself, we notice uh, the, the reason that God has to make us receptive to His Word is because we are disinclined naturally to be receptive to His Word, because we're sinners. And so we don't like to hear news that is judgmental towards us or news that is going is to change the way that we live. Or we don't want to hear messages from God's Word that tells us that actually the way that we're acting is not in accordance to His will. And so we're just naturally disinclined as fallen human beings to receive God's Word. And so He has to, he has to make us uh, receptive to His Word. And not only is it because of our sinful nature, but it's also because of the power and the ability of God's Word itself. And so the first place I want to turn your attention to, uh, a couple of other places in Scripture where I want you to see this. There are many others, but I've just kind of narrowed it down to three. So I, I want you to turn in your Bible really quickly to 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5. In 2 Timothy 4 verses one through five, the Bible says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Now this is Paul talking to Timothy in his letter to this young pastor, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Notice what Paul says to Timothy. He says in the last days, people are going to want to hear the things that feel good to them. Uh, they're gonna accumulate for themselves teachers and gurus and, and leaders all around them that are gonna tell them what their itching ears want, what their itching ears want to hear. And and he says here in verse 3, he says, they're gonna accumulate for themselves teachers um, in accordance to their own desires. And so this is what this is what people naturally are inclined to do. I want friends, I want teachers I want leaders who are going to tell me what feels good what feels good to me what resonates with me however <clears throat> the bible doesn't follow our agenda god's word never follows our agenda that's that's not the litmus test for truth god's word has its own agenda god's word has its own agenda and it aligns with god's agenda it's actually what god desires for us and what he wants so first reason that that God gives us for making us receptive to his word is that we're not inclined to do so, so he has to do it for us. But then also, he makes us inclined to his word by using his word to do that work in us. And we notice from 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, that God's word has its own agenda. The second thing I want you to see is from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. So if you'll turn in your Bible there, just a few pages over, we're gonna look and see what Hebrews... Chapter 4 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. See again what God says about his word. Not only uh, does it have its own agenda, but it has its own unique abilities. See, in in ways that in our flesh we we don't have the inclination, we don't have the power to do certain things that God's Word actually does in us through it. So in verse 12, he said the Word of God is living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Some scholars think that Hebrews was written by Luke and that this is actually referring to like a medical instrument, like a scalpel, that uh, you have this imagery of of surgery, that God is literally doing surgery on His people through the Word of God. That it's sharp and it's active, it's living. And notice what He says: it is, um, pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Nobody is hidden from His Word. And so God makes us receptive to His Word through His Word. He causes his word to do a work in us that only his word word can do. And then also we see, and this is the final uh, verse that I want to show you on on why uh, God uses his word, in Proverbs chapter 27, verses 5 through 6. So if you'll turn there. In Proverbs 27, verses 5 through 6, the Bible says, Better is an open rebuke than love that is concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Wow, that is powerful. See, God uses his word to do something that, that people don't usually do. I mean, we don't like to judge each other. We don't like to tell each other the truth. Even our best friends, sometimes, especially our best friends. But God's word says here that a faithful friend is one who is willing to wound someone for the truth. They're willing to uh, to do that harm initially. It's almost like a physician who has to who has to re-break a limb so that it grows back the right way? I mean, no physician really wants to do that, and no friend, no believer wants to correct a brother or sister in Christ and 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 make them feel bad, you know, toward that friendship. And but that's what God's Word does. It it has our good as its priority. So God's Word is able to do something that that we're just not inclined to do ourselves. And so God makes us receptive to His Word by using his word to do that. We'll talk about the different ways that, that he does that in a minute. I want you to notice, as we go back um, to Amos, um, something that is said in the, the very end of this section, in verse 13, because he says this is the problem in Israel. They they don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear God's word. They're rejecting the prophet. They're pushing him away. Um, they're uh, They're extorting one another. They're in verse 11, he kind of describes this as kind of a, a class system that they're creating. He says, because you impose a heavy rent on the poor, exact tribute of grain from them, though you have built houses of well-hewn stone, you will not live in them. You've planted vineyards. You will not drink the wine that comes from them. He's saying, look, you've done all these things. You've built these great uh, <clears throat> fortresses, these great houses, these great citadels on the backs of the poor. And and you've done really well. You've prospered, so to speak. You've planted these vineyards. And, and so now you have this distinction between the poor and the wealthy. And there are very many wealthy people in Israel and Judah during this time. And they are seen by surrounding countries as being very, very successful. However, he says, you've done all this stuff. You've worked really hard, but you're not going to get to see your fruit, the fruit of your labor. Because within three decades, we know historically that uh, 30 years later, that's when Israel uh, is led into captivity. And so he says, you've you've done all these things. You've created kind of this class system where you have the poor that are disenfranchised. You have the wealthy that are seen as very successful. But then he says in verse 13, what that's done is it's caused both ends of the spectrum, both groups of people to be very comfortable in such a way, he says in verse 13, therefore at such a time, the prudent person keeps silent for it is an evil time. Everybody involved uh, is unwilling to speak out about the truth. they They're unwilling to receive the word of God because it's so uncomfortable for them. For the poor person, it would mean they, you know, they don't want to upset the apple cart. Yeah, things aren't fair and they're not as free as they should be, but, you know, at least they have bread to live on. At least they have shelter. They're not going to speak up. The wealthy certainly aren't going to speak up because they're just living like fat cats. And so it comes to a place, they come to a place where nobody's going to speak up and nobody's going to receive God's word and no one's going to stand up for the truth. So they're rejecting God's prophet. They're comfortable where they are. And so God has to, because he loves his people, he has to make them receptive to his word because he loves them so much. And he knows that his word is able to do a work in them that they are unwilling to do themselves and that they cannot do themselves, that they will not do themselves. And this is why God has to make us also receptive to his word, sometimes God's word threatens our plans for the future, and this is what the word in verse thirteen—that word "prudent"—is really is really honing in on. What does it mean to be prudent? Um, really, the definition of this adjective here, that the way that it's being used in this verse, means that um, it means acting with or showing care and thought toward future things, toward the future. And so, in order for you know for someone to be prudent. They're making decisions in the here and now based upon their concern, their overall concern for what's going to happen in the future. And so everybody during this time, the Bible says, were, they were prudent. They were so concerned with, with protecting what, what they perceived was important for the future, they were unwilling to accept the truth. They were unwilling to share the truth. They were unwilling to hold each other accountable to the truth of God's word. And so God, in his grace and mercy, said, okay, you're unwilling to move, I'm going to make you move. I'm going to cause you to receive my word. I'm going to lead you into captivity. I'm going to bring judgment upon you so that you will cry out, so that you will, I'm going to change your situation. I'm going to take some blessings away so that you will start receiving my word again and start being nourished on the truth. The second thing that we see, starting in verse 14, is what it looks like to be receptive We just learn why God has to make us receptive because we're not inclined to it and his word is powerful to do that. But also he tells us what it looks like to be receptive because his people in this time, they forgot what does it even look like to be receptive to the word of God. So he says in verse 14, he says, he, he kind of uses a phrase that they would have used during the time. Listen, he kind of mocks them a, 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 little, a little bit. Verse 14 says, Seek good and not evil that you may live, and thus may the Lord God of hosts be with you, just as you have said. And so what he's saying in verse 14, he's saying, you, you guys have a saying. I mean, you say this to each other all the time. When someone is, you know, when you're facing uh, dire circumstances, you want to encourage, uh, a friend wants to encourage you, they say something like, the Lord be with you. And I, I, the Lord is with you, don't worry. You know, it's a a way to encourage. It's also a way to feel empowered. I mean, if they were going to go into battle against a foreign enemy, and someone stood and said, hey, don't be fearful. The Lord is with you. It gives us courage. It emboldens us. The Lord's presence is something that can encourage us. It can be something that emboldens us, also something that comforts us. But what they forgot was, and this is what Amos was trying to tell them that God was trying to tell them through Amos was something they forgot about God's omnipresence. His omnipresence is not just something that gives us comfort during tough times that we experience. It's not just something that gives us courage during trying times, but it's also something that should remind us of His holiness. You know, sometimes we go through life and we go, "Man, is God is God with us?" Yeah, God's with us. He promises to be with us. It's encouraging. It's empowering. But then, what we need to realize as Christians and as the Church is that God is with us, and that has implications toward His holiness and and on our behavior as those who call themselves Christ followers. We need to be aware that there's that God's holiness, that He dwells within the camp, that that He's speaking through us, that He's speaking through His followers, He's speaking through the Church, and we need to be aware of that, and that needs to be something that convicts us, and so. What does it look like to be receptive? It doesn't mean that we're to just go around and use, you know, these phrases, God be with you, you know, God is good all the time, all the time God is good, you know, to use those phrases and kind of talk about God and and have this theology of God, but it it means that we have to be, we have to recognize that God is with us, and that should impact the way that we live, knowing that God is using us, that he's speaking through us, and that God is with us. So it has to do with his holiness as well. And that's why Amos says, seek good and not evil, that you may live. You can't just talk about God. You have to also reflect the character of God. You can no longer continue to extort the poor. You, you, can't, you can't continue to ignore holiness in worship. You can't continue to behave a certain way all the while saying certain things and creating a theology of God without actually living out your faith. Hate evil, love good. And then he says in verse 15, establish justice in the gate. Perhaps the Lord God of hosts may be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. And this is the final thing that I want you to see. What does it look like to be receptive? Number one, it means to be obedient. To not just say things about God, to not just talk about his omnipresence as something that encourages us and emboldens us, but something that actually convicts us about his holiness, that he is with us. Therefore, it should change the way that we behave. But finally, it speaks of of humility. What does it mean for us uh, to be receptive? It means to be obedient, And it means to be humble. Uh, I want you to see the word that he uses here in verse 15. He says, perhaps, maybe, no guarantees, hate evil, love good. That is, start to obey the Lord. Start to follow the Lord. Not just talking about Him, but start to obey Him. And then he says in verse 15, maybe, perhaps, the Lord God of hosts may be gracious to the remnant of Israel. See, there are no guarantees for Israel at this point. He doesn't say, if Israel were to, if they were to come and say, okay, Amos, we heard you. God, we heard your word. We heard the word of the Lord today. Now, what guarantees do we have if we obey it that we will all live through this, that we can keep our castles? Uh, that we can continue to have plenty of grain and plenty of wine and and plenty of territory. That we will continue to possess our kingdoms. What guarantees do we have? God says, you have none. Amos says, perhaps. And that's something we need to learn about repentance. And we learn it, uh, what's interesting is we learn it in the book of Jonah. Um, I want to read for you just a part of a passage from Jonah. In Jonah chapter 3, God actually is teaching his his people how to repent. And he uses a people group, a nation uh, in Nineveh, the Ninevites. He, he uses them to show his people how to repent. Now, it's interesting because Nineveh, the Ninevites were sworn enemies uh, of Israel. They, they hated each other. As a matter of fact, the Ninevites did horrible things to Israel. And so God sends his prophet Jonah to the Ninevites. And Jonah doesn't want to go. As a matter of fact, he he ends up not going initially. He's trying to run away from God, and then God changes his mind through a series of unfortunate events, and Jonah ends up going into into Nineveh, and and here we pick up in chapter three the second time. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day's walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man beast, herd, or flock, taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. Both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Verse nine, listen to this. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we shall not perish. How ironic and almost... uh, Absurd it is for God to be teaching his people Israel how to repent through this wicked nation in Nineveh. But that's what he does. He uses them to show his people this is what it looks like to humbly receive my word and repent. Notice what the king of Nineveh did. He took off his robe, he tossed it from him. And this was, this was not after many, many days of prophesying and preaching. Jonah simply enters into the city. He hasn't even gotten a third, only a third of the way through the city. And he's preaching this very simple message, basically of damnation. He says, yet 40 days in Nineveh will be overthrown. There's no hope. <laughs> there's, there's, there's nothing. Held, there's no hope held out for these people. It's simply a declaration of God's judgment. But look at their reaction. Their reaction is humble. It's humble obedience. They call for a fast of the entire nation. The king lays aside his robe, the robe covers himself in sackcloth and ashes, and then he makes this statement. He says, who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. This is what it looks like to be receptive, to be obedient and to be humble. And, and that's what God is trying to teach his people in, uh, in Amos. Do this prophet. This prophet is being rejected at the city gate. We don't want to hear the truth. We don't want to hear what you have to say. We don't want to hear from God. Everybody's comfortable. We have this this prudent posture, not rocking the boat, not upsetting the apple cart. We like things the way that they are. But listen, they're God's people. God's chosen people. And God will not allow them to continue down this road. He woos them back through, through... very difficult discipline, but yet he loves them so much, he's going to bring them back to his word. He's going to give them a new receptivity to his word, no matter what it takes. Why? Because of the power that his word can do and will do in his people when we submit to it. I hope that this encourages you and challenges you today. I hope that you will submit even more to God's word today and that you will ask him, Lord, in what ways have I been not not been receptive to your word? Lord, would you change me because I know that your word is what's best in my life and that it does set things that that no one else and nothing else can do. Would you pray that today and ask God to make us as Grace Fellowship Church and to make you even more receptive to his word than you already are. And he'll do that because you belong to him through Christ. He will never let you go. If you believe in Christ and you follow Christ and you belong to him, we have a promise of God that he will continue to make us receptive to his word. And that looks like this. It means that that the Holy Spirit is going to speak to us every time that we open up God's word and that we should seek out fellowship with other brothers and sisters because they're going to point us to God's word, that we should be pointing each other to God's word confident that it's the very thing, it's that surgical instrument that God uses to do work on our heart. So I would encourage you, just today, as we, as we finish up today, I want to encourage you in God's Word. Stay in it and, and present yourself to God today and say, God, do a work in me through your Word. Uh, we'll see you guys next time. I hope that you've been blessed by this. God bless you all. We'll see you next time.